हेलो एवरीवन दिस इज कथक का चक्कर माय नेम इज प्रमित एंड दिस प्लेस इज डिजाइन टू बी अ सेंट्रल प्लेटफॉर्म टू ब्रिंग कॉन्वर्सेशंस विद कथकर्स अक्रॉस द ग्लोब टुडे आई हैव विद मी सुरान्या सिलवरदना शी इज अ श्रीलंकन ऑस्ट्रेलिया बेस्ड Kathak dancer who's been learning Kathak for the past 10 years under Guru Pali Chandra at Gurukul Studios International. She is currently undergoing training for her vocational advanced one exam. She has performed globally in Dubai, India, England and Switzerland and more. So Rania's passion very passionate about using dance as a way to communicate. So Rania how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm happy we set this up. Thanks to Mathli for recommending that I reach out to you, and we've been talking anyway. Uh, just to get the ball started, what what has what is that experience being a young dancer and what that means been for you? And just so that we are on, uh, like we understand what we're talking about. What what age range do you refer to when you mean a young dancer? I don't think it necessarily means young as in age-wise, but young as in experience as a dancer. Okay. So understood. You are dancing alongside more mature artists. So for me personally, I think it was uh, the fear that the audience would be comparing my dance, and even after shows when we we're talking to the audience about our repertoire, that my opinions or the way I'm describing something might be compared to someone who has more solid understanding or a more mature understanding about the topics and the emotions that. you know we had portrayed that day so it was also because when we got as a group i'm not just representing myself i'm representing the entire team so it was like the internal fear of saying something wrong hmm being compared to and being afraid of saying the wrong thing i'm i'm pretty eight i'm 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 still trying to figure out at what age that goes away we'll see i'll keep you posted uh but on that note um could do you have like an example or an anecdote or a story you'd like to share about this yeah definitely so um in my more recent years of dancing with the vocational batch i can't say that i felt the pressure as much because we are all generally very young dancers so i feel like we're all floating the same boat but having said that when we were in grade 6 we had performed a ghazal this wasn't a performance this was just in preparation for exams and things and a ghazal is a lyrical poem that's typically written in urdu or farsi and the particular ghazal we had done had was talking about a love that was so deep and so strong way beyond any of the romance elements that we had in tumris which were much more lighthearted so as a 14 year old the connection that we were trying to show in the ghazal was far beyond my scope of understanding um and for me i was already linguistically challenged because for the ghazal it's not enough to look at the literal meaning you have to look like read between the lines which i was already struggling to do and on top of that for me the way i emote best is when i link the emotion that i need to portray with an emotion that i faced in the past it doesn't need to be the same but i like to have a link and i could not find anything so i was beyond nervous and in preparation for our exams uh paldi somanti and paliji used to watch our final repertoire and give us final feedback and things like that and i remember when they were watching our uh ghazal i was 
beyond nervous because I've watched um, dancers of the vocational batch do that guzzle as a solo and the maturity and the depth of understanding that they have of that piece is far beyond anything that I could have portrayed as a as a 14 year old but even, even to date I would probably still be struggling to show emotions to that kind of maturity level and I think it comes back around to the fact that when you got in a group you're not just representing yourself you're representing the entire group so I was always scared of giving off like a weaker interpretation of the piece or not not doing justice to the emotions that we were really trying to portray okay yeah because uh, um, on a similar note when i used to take improv classes there was a lot of places where you had to think about you had to like play that you're in a relationship with someone at that point i wasn't really in a relationship so that was a weird thing for me to do just to get into that stage i'm like i don't know what that's about so that was strange i feel like in terms of an improv class i think that is what every living choreography was for me it was it was kind of like an improv lesson. Um, oh, how is one supposed to feel that way? I even remember asking some of my senior girl friends, um, and I used to ask them. I was like, "Wait, how does that feel? Like, what, what, what do I have to show? How do I show it? Um, is it more expression based? Is it can I show it physically?" Um, so there's definitely a lot of questions and a lot of inquiry that comes with being a young dancer. Yeah, because like I've had, because uh, I'm a, I'm like two years into this, uh, and I didn't have an idea how do I con- con- like combine my dance and improv. And I talked to my teacher, and I realized I don't have a lot of the grammar yet to be able to do it. So from what I understood from him, it's like once you develop the foundations in Kathak, then you can use it in other places. But doing it at this stage is going to be tricky. So I'm looking forward to that when that opportunity arises. Now coming to you talked about being the youngest dancer and that kind of ties into a lot of themes where you're the only ex somewhere uh like being being the only like say person of color or being the only male dancer or there's a lot of commonality of themes there so when you were like when i think about this so like and correct me if i'm wrong so when you hear that you were the youngest dancer there's there's a sense of pride you know that accomplishing something and all that but what how do you feel when people say that? What, what are the things that go through your head? Um, it definitely came with a sense of pride and accomplishment, but I think that wore off over time because, I don't know, I used to get so inspired watching the ladies' batch, watching my younger group behinds doing all sorts of performances and choreographies. So age just kind of lost value, I think, as time went on. But no, it did come with a sense of pride and, uh, and accomplishment. But yeah, it it was definitely overcome by the sense of responsibility that came with that as well. Um, I felt this more so with the vocational batch as a whole, because as I mentioned, we were quite young um, collectively. So when we used to get comments like, oh my God, you guys are so good for your age, as flattering as that was, it was also like we were put up on a pedestal. So I'm sure this is true for some of the other dancers as well, but it was, I became a lot more self-aware, not so much self-conscious because I've never felt more at home than when I'm at Gurgle, but I became very aware of the way I acted in front of my younger group hands or in front of the adults, the way I interacted with them, the way I spoke, the way I behaved. Um, and it was weird for me to navigate because I was still like 14, 15. So I was like still trying to find that balance, but I realized that it was inevitable, like 
any dancer is going to come to a stage where they have to gain this sort of duality from the way you act in the studio to the way you act outside of the studio. So, um, yeah, as much as it was pride and accomplishment, it was definitely a lot of responsibility that came with it as well. Like even something as small as calling me the because initially I used to call anyone who was older than me the but eventually it became a sign of respect and it became more about their experience and maturity as a dancer rather than just their age. So when people started calling me the it was almost like a good weight on my shoulders. Like it made me want to become a better role model. But um yeah, so it was definitely a lot of responsibility along with the pride like even which I think eventually appears even into your normal day-to-day life. Because I remember last month, it was my birthday. And whenever people were wishing me, they were like, oh, how are you so mature for your age? And stuff like that. And it's like, I feel like as a young dancer, you also do have that inclination to mature faster than other people your age. But um, yeah. I see. That's good. But yeah, the whole calling D has been interesting for me as a podcaster. As a rule of thumb, I just start, I, when I started out, I just called everyone G. Then I realized in a certain age group, they don't like being called G. And then I, 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 I in general, I go with the, any, any, either if they're older or younger than me, just because they have more experience than me. And then, so that's been interesting, like just navigating that from my perspective. And yeah, uh, that that is very fascinating that, uh, because the whole, because I've talked, I've spoken to Swarishri and Mathli from the vocational batch, right? The vocational batch itself is a young dance group. And then you being the youngest of that young dance group is like some other level. And that puts it into perspective. So since you, yeah, oh yeah, belated happy birthday. And so, uh, so at, at the age of 16 now, do you feel like an adult? How do, or do you feel like a child or somewhere in the middle? Where do you see yourself in Qatar? I think that depends on the environment I'm in. Because if you find me with the vocational batch, I'm probably a bit more immature and a bit more like a kid. Um, I wouldn't even say like a kid. I would just say more myself, definitely. But overall, I would say somewhere in between. I don't think I've ever felt like an adult in the studio. But yeah, definitely somewhere in between. Because I still try to uphold a good image of the vocational batch and of myself as a senior dancer while still trying to stay true to my age. And that brings me to, uh, and now I'm curious about this, since I, because you'd be the third person I interviewed from the vocational course. And in the larger context of like the Gurukul environment, um, are y'all kind of like many celebrities in that circle with like the other classes going on? I'm just, I'm wondering, because that's just the first thing that came to my mind. <laughs> I wouldn't say celebrities, but I know what you mean. And I think, Mm-hmm. I think it's because our role as senior dancers went beyond coming to Gurukul for our sessions and then going back home. Okay. I think it, we like we tried to help Bailey with uh, junior batches or with choreographies and music mm-hmm. for shows. So I think because of that larger role that being a senior dancer requires, okay. I think because of that, we did have a larger presence in the studio. But mm. I think it was just because people just saw our face so frequently in the studio. Like there were times I fully thought I lived there. Okay. <laughs> Okay, yeah, cause um, cause I, I it's, this this question just came to my mind. I didn't have written down or anything. Cause Gurukul has like Dubai and Switzerland, so the people who come there, the people who are like like learning from all over the world, and they they come once a year to visit Baliji. So yeah, so we're dealing with like the whole international crowd. Who who did you work with? Yeah, I mean, whenever we go to Bangalore or to Switzerland, we end up working with the girls, and they're all amazing dancers mm-hmm. and. 
amazing people. And I think the awesome thing about Gurukul is that no matter where you are, you're always bonded by Gurukul. Right. So whenever we go back to Bangalore to Switzerland, it honestly feels like we never left and it just picks up right where we left mm. off. But um, yeah, we do work with them as well. And this is like, yeah, this, on the lighter side of things, does Gurukul have like a giant WhatsApp group with like a hundred people texting <laughs> and everything then? No, I wish we did. Okay. Uh, we're split into your like into grades. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because you're talking about all these people all across the world. I'm just, I, I just assume they like instead of sending good morning memes, they just send each other kinds of videos. But, <laughs> we know. have. I mean, I think each grade has like seventy different groups. You make one for every show. You make one for every, you know, trip that you go on to. So I think everyone has their own little collection of dance okay. groups. Makes sense, makes sense. And last question about Gurukul, and then we'll kind of move on to your practice and other things as well. So since you've kind of so intricately tied with Gurukul and you've taken additional responsibility, even maybe you didn't want it, maybe you did, but do you see yourself like taking a larger administration role in Gurukul if the opportunity presents itself? What do you feel um, about that? I think for me, taking up roles like that was always, yes, it was about helping Gurukul, but it was also for me to gain more mm. understanding of the administrative side of mm. dance because I think it's it's really hard right. to be a dancer and limit yourself to just dancing because in the reality of situations not everyone's going to be a dancer so some people might have to resort to dance management True. for me it was more um just observing Somnanti Somnanti is the backbone of Virgo and so, yeah yeah, she yeah. Come so up for me that. it was always observing her and the way um she used to handle um, Gurukul's and maintaining this atmosphere without physically being a part of the dance. I think um, having a solid understanding of both sides is very important. Yeah, that, that's what I think about and yeah, I'm, it's, very, it's very interesting that you said, yeah, not everyone can be a dancer, but can be in the field. So that's a topic I discussed with that, with Sarshi as well. And yeah, an embarrassing thing about like uh, when I learned about Somnadi, like, I didn't know they were sisters for the longest time. So when I saw their pictures, I'm like, wow, they are so similar. <laughs> like they just, and then, then afterwards someone told me and then I was like, okay, that makes sense. Now I can be at peace because that was like eating me up for the longest time. Like, how is this possible? And I didn't think of the obvious answer. So that, and coming to, and with that, we'll kind of uh, segue into your Sri Lankan heritage. Um, because yeah, we've talked about yeah, Kathak in India, we talk about we've talked a little bit about Kathak in pa- Pakistan, few other countries, and even the Caribbean, because like Caribbean has its kind of its own heritage a little bit. Uh, but yeah, tell me about a little bit about how your Sri Lankan heritage has influenced your Kathak. Yeah, I think more than Sri Lankan as a culture, I would say mm-hmm. what helped the most was the fact that I didn't understand Hindi. Because um, hmm. a lot of my memories uh, in my initial years of training was absolutely being blank-faced in class and not understanding what was going on for the longest time ever. I think for about hmm. five years, I think it was only when I got to around fourth or fifth where I actually started to understand Hindi. Um, hmm. And during my initial years, a lot of my teachers didn't speak English very well. So for me, dance was very literally a form of communication. I spent a lot of time observing um the way people used to talk and the way people used to interact and um especially when it came to getting feedback from my teachers I think that was the hardest part for me because obviously being of a different background I think the most obvious difference is the language barrier that we had 
And so it was, it was like, okay, while I'm dancing, what is the face they are making? Um, how are they reacting to the movements that I'm doing? So oh. I always say, and I, observation mm. is one of the greatest lessons that you can have. Just observing people and trying to understand what they're saying through body language, through expressions, is such an important tool. Um, not just in dance, for anything and everything. I think it's so important to know when and how to read people and how they're feeling without using without verbal communication. And since you talked about observation and communication, has there ever been uh, uh, has observe has there ever been an instance where you are observing the you're you're doing a performance and you're looking at the audience and based on their reaction you made any changes to your dance i'm just curious i can't say i have and majority of my pieces i haven't even really been able to see the audience because of the strength of the lights on stage but i must say that one of my favorite performances to date was uh one that we had done in switzerland in like an outdoor restaurant and the stage itself was small and the audience was not even like five feet away from us. And so the entire setting was quite intimate. And I feel like it's one of my favorite performances. Like the choreography itself was so in sync. And I feel like it was because we could kind of like vibe with the audience and we could see that they were enjoying it. So even we got like energy and it was it was just a really nice performance. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I feel like you do end up naturally making minor detail changes, even as late as on the day of the mm-hmm. show. I remember oh. there was one show where I was doing my choreography dancing to silence which is based on a deaf and mute girl and my piece Mm -hmm. revolved around how she uses vibrations as a form of music to help her dance Mm -hmm. and um, I tried to show these vibrations by lightly tapping on my arm but when my guru band had seen me during my tech rehearsal she was just like that did not make sense to me so then I had to um do a bit of tathkar just to consolidate that feeling of you know vibrations and tempo but that's happened to me quite a few times where i've choreographed a certain movement where it made sense in my head but it wasn't delivering the message that i intended it to so i think that's that's how important observation is okay so that kind of brings me to my next question because uh, you're talking about um communicating as someone who's deaf and dumb and one thing I've always been curious about so when you're portraying dances of uh, like you're portraying say a message with someone who has a disability and say you and you're not you don't have that said disability I guess then uh, in my head it just becomes like I want to portray it in a way that does it that serves it well but it doesn't kind of become a parody or like no anything humorous and you know because it's a sensitive topic but you want to give it its due justice. So what was your process in ensuring that the experience was genuine? Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's really important to make sure when you're doing a social topic to deliver it in a just way. But um, basically, I had already decided on my track, which was Mo Funk by Atleta, and I was just kind of searching for a topic to do. And while I was doing that, I came across Mandy Harvey's audition on America's Got Talent, Mandy Harvey is a deaf singer and um, she did her audition barefoot because she needed to feel the vibration from the floorboard of the stage. So when I realized that Mofunk had a really nice bass and when I realized that vibrations is how deaf people find tempo and find rhythm, I try to combine that those two 
So in a typical sense, what I would do in a track is focus on the melody and dance with the melody. But in this case, I danced with the bass instead. Um, and that's kind of what I wanted to, that was kind of my musicality fallback of my choreography. But then I decided that what I really wanted to show out of my performance was how strong these people are for living lives like us, but dealing with something that we can't even imagine dealing with. So after that, it was a matter of research. So I decided that I wanted to follow a character who developed a loss of um, hearing and a loss of being able to talk rather than someone who was born deaf and mute. So rather than choosing more scientific research to look at and trying to understand the science part of it, I tried to look at case studies and understand the emotive part of like losing the ability to hear and um, to speak. And that really helped me kind of get the Avinet aspect of my choreography down. And, um, but the main, I think the pivotal turning point of me researching was that I had actually got in touch with a deaf and mute dancer, but she talked me through the more literal, um, how they create work and things like that. So I think that was what a really brought out a different light in my choreography but that was my process of doing it thank you for explaining that whole process um i hadn't really prior to this conversation i hadn't really thought about deaf dancers before um an obvious question that comes to mind is like so for for, for dancers who can hear they i mean when you're doing a choreography a lot of it a lot of when you change your steps is based on how the music changes or what the words are being said. So how do how do deaf dancers do their choreographies then? So there's not a lot online about mm -hmm. choreographing dance as a deaf dancer because dancing as a deaf dancer is still mainly reliant on mm -hmm. reading body language. Whereas for choreography, you really do need a solid understanding of the music structure. And um, so one dancer that I kind of focused a lot on in terms of understanding how they choreograph is called Chris Fonseca and he's a British dancer who auditioned for The Greatest Dancer. I'm not sure if you've heard of that show but um, even in some of his videos he says that everyone thinks that there's only one way to listen to music but you can also feel the music and he has a cochlear implant so he can hear like slight changes in the vibrations or in changes of sound and he says that like I focus on the beats but I still need to really work hard to understand the structure of the music so from what I had heard of a lot of it was based on vibrations and that is kind of what I focused my dance on a lot as well uh and one more thing about this so like I, I know about like American sign language being this thing is that like the sign language which everyone else speaks or is there like multiple forms of sign language so I did American Sign Language because it was the most accessible mm -hmm. to me in yeah. Dubai, but um, there's American Sign Language, British Sign Language, Australian Sign Language. So it's dependent on countries and regions. Okay. And by any chance, do you know any like deaf Kathak dancers? I do not. Okay. I was just curious. And since, since uh, I guess, um, yeah, the next topic I want to talk about, I guess, is Sri Lankan. I want to know some of the stories that you work with. Um, from India, the obvious story that comes to mind is the Ramayana. So have you been able to explore the Ramayana from the Sri Lankan perspective? We heard stories about how it's portrayed in Sri Lanka growing up, but I do want, I've never talked to anyone from Sri Lanka. So this is very exciting for me. 
I've never explored mythological stories with both sides. Um, I actually started doing, I thought I'd start slow. So I started doing Katakan Singhala songs. But um, in terms of mythological stories, no, but it's definitely something that I really want to explore. Right, because I'm probably not the first person to think of this or suggest this to you because the portrayal, portrayal of Ravan in Indian culture and Sri Lankan culture is so different. So yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think we'll forgive you for not doing everything already. <laughs> <laughs> so what are your, uh, so if you haven't there in the mythological perspective, are, are there any stories in, from Sri Lankan which are not mythological that you relate to or the things that you really like? in terms of Sri Lankan literature or stories or like shows and things like that. Yeah, so an element of Sri Lankan culture that I'd love to intertwine with Kathak is definitely candy and dancing. So candy and dance is a Sri Lankan dance style. And although it is very different to Kathak, I remember uh, the first time I had done a Sinhala song, the first time I had done Kathak to a Sinhala song, was um, for a song called Arandati Anwa. And the first time I had seen that song was on a performance done by Canadian dancers and when I had finished my choreography and I looked back at that video it was so interesting to see two different dance forms saying the same thing but you could interpret it in different ways just based on the movement vocabulary and I thought that was mesmerizing to see so it's definitely something that I'd love to explore in the future. And in terms of Sri Lankan literature, I just don't think I'm well-versed enough in the language to really express the mm. little idioms and metaphors that there are. So Lost in translation is a thing. So Because there, there's like a famous Indian Hindi song called uh, The Other Disco. Uh, and then it can translate. If you wanted to translate it, you can translate it to There's a painful disco in my heart, which makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> or my heart's on fire with disco fever, which is closer, but yeah, it, things do change. Uh, so, Pranaya, uh, with, so say with uh, certain cultures and things, you feel like it, it's harder for you to connect the dots or because of the things and lots get, gets lost in translation. So which, I guess, I guess, which aspects of culture when you talk about globally do you connect with and you don't have those issues and you can make that connection directly? Yeah, I think uh, cultural identity is something I've struggled with for a while because I was born in Sri mm -hmm. Lanka, raised in Dubai, living in Australia, learning an Indian classical dance form. Right. So I think mm -hmm. because I was exposed to so many cultures, it was, I was never static enough in one to understand the depth of it. But um, I mean, I'm definitely the most connected to my Sri Lankan heritage. Having said that, learning about my culture in Dubai or Australia is way different to how it would have been if I was learning about it in Sri Lanka. And Sri Lanka is such a small country and it was a minority in Dubai that, you know, the access to resources weren't, weren't the same. Um, and I think anyone can relate to when I say, like, I was, I was too Sri Lankan to be in Dubai, but too foreign to be in Sri Lanka. So I think even if I did go, do go back to Sri Lanka now, like, I, it's, there's still a massive gap in, like, the understanding of lifestyle and culture. Mm. Uh, which is why I think dance very quickly became such a big part of me was because it's the one thing that I've learned throughout my life and that I've grown with. Like the language and the culture and the feeling of dance is so natural to me. So I think that's why it very quickly became part of my identity. Like, I don't think there's a language I understand better than my Kathak bones. Um, and even that's been like an experience, mm -hmm. you know, like to see the progress. Like I remember my first Parampara trip 
we were doing tigon, which is three bulls in one beat, mm-hmm. which is hard enough in tintal, but then we were doing it in japtal. And I was, uh, I was with all my seniors, right. so they were all getting with ease, and I was like struggling. <laughs> and now I'm doing like pochkun, satkun, and I love doing it, you know? So it's like, it, it's just right. part, it's like second nature now. When you said tigon, I thought you meant tigon and tintal, but tigon and another tal is just like, <laughs> that's very interesting, but. You you hit up on a very good point where you're faced with something hard and you don't give up immediately and you take the time to figure it out because it's like you know people before you have done it so it's like there's it's not you're not trailblazing per se but it is difficult so you know if you put in the reps you'll get there so that is yeah that is that that is really interesting about that part. And so then this brings on some like more exploratory questions. So you know what you like, you know what you struggle with, you know what you're trying to get better at. Do you see yourself like marketing yourself or like presenting yourself as an answer, getting really into the lay and mass of Kathak and focusing on that and using that as your message? Is that something you've considered or what do you think? Do you think what do you think about that? Would I market myself as just a Nritta dancer? No. Right. Um, because I think it's important to have a good understanding of both Nritta and Ritya. And, but like, would I play to my strengths? Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, even in my Abhinav pieces now, I still do try and add a bit of technique in there because that is my strong suit. Um, but I don't think I would ever completely rely on it. Um, like, even nowadays, because it's so easy to fall into that as well. Because um, nowadays in my Riyaz, if I'm doing, like two and a half in the mar, I will find myself spending like two hours on that rather than working on something that I actually have to do or something that I'm actually weak in. So it's, uh, so I like need to catch myself a little. But um, yeah, so I think it's important to have a good balance of both, which is why I wouldn't completely rely on one end, but um, definitely playing to my strengths, yes. Right, okay, no, but no, I think, uh, yeah, that was a, uh, yeah, it was more of an open-ended question. So there's no like right answer for it. And it's always great to talk to someone who has an obsession for something because uh, you get to hear. I love talking to people who are, pa- who are passionate about things. And it's just that in Kathak, you find a lot of people there. So it works out. But he does what Kathak is like in Australia. I, 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 when I was looking up guests, I saw a few, a few people here and there, but I never reached out to anyone. So I'm not sure what the scene is like. I feel like I'm still a bit too early to tell you exactly the depths and the crux of Kathak in Australia. I've only been here for a year. You know more than most of my guests about Kathak in Australia, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, but I mean, I can't blame Australia for not having good Kathak representation because mm. it is so far from the world. They're waiting for you, Saranya, like, no pressure, but yeah. <laughs> it definitely comes with its pros and cons. And yes. I mean, from what I've seen in terms of the larger scale um, Kathak representation in Australia, there's it's it's not a lack of um, Kathak representation, but it is limited yeah. in the sense that Many of the institutions that I have heard of usually tend to appeal to the more general public in terms of Bali Kathak. But um, again, my Kathak knowledge of Australia is kind of limited right now because I'm mostly looking at Adelaide rather than Sydney and Melbourne, which are the big cities and which have larger Mm. South Asian communities. So there Mm. might be more demand in those areas. But in terms of Adelaide, there's definitely a lot of opportunity in terms of performing because we do a Mm. lot of cultural events and things like that and there's a lot of in Australia as a whole there's a lot of community presence uh, and because of the large community of South Asians out here um, you know there are a lot of cultural events that you can perform at but in terms of training it is quite limited here 
um, which is a pro in the sense that if I do decide to do, um, you know, open my own studio one day after I finish my training, there is a gap in the market that I can appeal to. But, um, you know, that's right. like in the future. So right now it is a bit of struggle in terms of personal training because mm -hmm. time zone is a massive thing. I think that is the biggest con about coming here, to be honest, because um, not only was I not getting the physical training that I needed, the online training was... It just wasn't a fun experience because, you know, my girl close sessions used to run from 9.30 to 10.30 at night. And one time I had done Aditi Mangaldashi's workshop, mm -hmm. which ran from 11 to 1. So I was doing like hardcore training from like 9.30 at night to 1 in the morning. And it was like, it was right. extremely strenuous because I had to get up for school the next day as well. And I think I had hit breaking point when one of the workshops that I wanted to attend, I did it from 5.30 to 6 in the morning in my school uniform. And then I had to catch two buses. So I literally traveled Adelaide with a laptop in my hand <laughs> and just trying to listen to, uh, you know, Kathak dancers online. And it was extremely tough. And I think that was the last workshop I attended fully because um, it was just it is incredibly tough to manage school and dance you know, virtually as well. But there is a lot of hindrances when it comes to moving to Australia in terms of from Dubai because first of all like going from group sessions totally group sessions to solo yeah. sessions is kind of it, it's really tough because I used to play off of like the energy of other people in the class and I personally loved collaborating with people not in the sense of like a performance like even training like being with other people seeing you know different qualities and different dancers yeah. and trying to find your own kind of you know original qualities it's it was something that I love to do and then coming here and completely like diverting from group to solo was was very odd and you know even in terms of being you know training to my level alone is kind of new to me because I always had the support of my guru Bahens and uh, Gurukul mm -hmm. in Dubai whereas here like although I do know they're with me in spirit but um you know it, it's one thing being there physically and it's one thing one thing being there virtually it, it is very different and, you know, you don't have that kind of fallback. So it is extremely, mm, extremely tough. Okay. Uh, because I know Swar talked about uh, FOMO, um, you know, from school. But then when we used to face that FOMO with school friends, we used to look towards, you know, our guru behinds and because only our ma like schedules match with each other. So not even having them there with me has been extremely uh, tough. But I'm sure I'll get used to it over time. But there's definitely in terms of uh, Kathak in Australia, there is there is a gap in training, I think. You know what I'm hearing? You're on an island where you're probably one of the top ta Kathakas in that whole country, which is why you can't find someone to teach you because you know that so much. Is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm thinking. Like this is possible, and you've probably thought of that as well. I don't want to mess with your head or anything, but <laughs> I wouldn't go as far as to say best answer. But I know where you're coming from, and it's. It, it's not so much I think that I was better than someone. I think the way ISDD was structured was so good in the sense that it gave us a little bit of everything. So I think I was right. well equipped, right, right, not right. so much better. Um, like when I met with certain dancers, they didn't have as much theory knowledge. When I met with um, other dancers, they hadn't done as many thals as I had. And also, this is like purely me exploring in just Adelaide because Adelaide's quite small in comparison to a lot of the big cities you hear about in Aussie, like... Sydney or Melbourne, uh, who also do have larger South Asian communities, as I mentioned last time. So I feel like maybe their Kathak uh, market is a bit larger and maybe better 
So, um, like, I have heard of a couple companies, but even they, as I said, they do a lot of Bali Kathak mm-hmm. stuff, which makes absolute sense because you, I mean, at the end of the day, it is a business and you need to appeal to the general public. But it wasn't exactly mm-hmm. what I was looking for. So I wouldn't go as far as to say one of the best answers. But um, I was definitely, I think, better prepared thanks to ISTD and Grokul. And I think there was a evident gap in terms of knowledge. I like how you put it that there's a gap. But like, so I just had this realization now, like, oh, wow, okay, fine. If she's in Australia, she can't find anyone to teach her, which means she, know, she knows quite a bit and she knows, probably knows, yeah, she's probably high up there. So when you had this realization, how did you feel? Like, oh, this is my, like, I'm in a place where I might be like one of the best Kathakas here. Like, how did you feel when you heard that? Yeah, so like anyone considering a creative career, I think I had a lot of anxiety about it. Um, and I still do about, you know, taking a creative aspect of my future. But I think when I noticed this gap, my fr- very mm-hmm. first thought was like, okay, maybe I do have a higher chance yeah. of being successful here than I had in Dubai. And then it became a thing of like, okay, how can I use that gap as an advantage to me in my art form? Yeah. And how can I get Katak out there into the community? So then I'm planning to take a gap year after high school. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about, you know, starting up um, lessons in community centers right. just to get the ball rolling. Because I haven't thought about starting my own thing until mm-hmm. way, way later. But I mean, like right. when I used to help Ayalite classes and stuff in Gurukul, mm-hmm. I, I found a really deep love for teaching dance. Um, I think it gives you a completely different sense of accomplishment. But again... As I said, it was something that I was thinking about way later in the future and nothing in the near future. But if we we're talking like really initial thoughts yeah. when I like noticed the gap, um, I mean, I was in my own little world. I was thinking about what it would feel like to, you know, open up my own studio and start up my own business, uh. which started like a whole train of thought into how, um, you know, I've, I've like seen it with my own eyes where if you're a young teacher, people do begin to question your capabilities because if I do let's say start up my own thing as a 17 year old in my gap year um it's you know then yeah like I've, I've seen it happen to people yes. right? it becomes more of a question of your age rather than your ability or your or your experience as a dancer and then there's all the legal stuff about owning a business as a minor and stuff like that uh because obviously I'll still be 17 in my gap mm-hmm. year and um yeah so there was a whole train of thought but if we're talking really really initial thoughts opening up my own studio if we're talking about realistic thoughts um just little things to get katak out into the community yeah but you're resourceful i think you can figure i i feel like you can figure that stuff out and work right like yeah, this is I mean, it's overwhelming right. but it's definitely a value like an avenue that i'm looking for. interesting interesting okay yeah because like not on the same level because yeah the age dif- like being like a an eight-year-old thinks a nine-year-old is much older than them. So, like, age differences start to matter less and less as you get older. So, yeah, definitely huge in uh, from zero to eighteen. But, like, so like my yeah, like my teacher is nineteen years old. So, because like we have a nine-year age gap. So, yeah, and he just started teaching because of the pandemic. So, yeah, it's like, yeah, I think the, the like even in my head sometimes I think about it. Oh, he's younger than me and all that. But end of the day, like. The, the guy's put in his time, he knows more than me. Like, he, he, when I make a mistake, he catches it and he's not wrong. So, that's what matters, end of the day. So, yeah. For sure, for sure. I was, when I was talking to um, this um, lady who performs here, um, and she has her own studio, and she was telling me, she's just like, you know, in the beginning, it's going to be rough. I'm not telling you that it's going to be easy. 
because but she's like you know at the end of the day one dancer is more than enough you have one person and then then word of mouth happens and you know other people get to know that you're teaching so she's like even if you get one person that should be your goal just to get one person but yeah i mean i've always thought like it's easier to advocate yourself as a young performer than as a young teacher then because with when it comes with teaching there's like this responsibility and there's this liability which is why for me age was a bit of a concern but um i think the closer and closer i've gotten to graduating the less and less i've been thinking about how old i am then it's just kind of like you know what i have the qualification for it like the day is yeah Plus, you get to go through that whole process of like entrepreneurship, starting your own thing earlier, and so yeah. By the time you're in your twenties, you're like, oh, you're a ten year, you know, you're like a decade into entrepreneurship as well, <laughs> or something like that. That's pretty cool, anyway. But uh, so that then, but yeah, I will say that if you if you're like, I think uh, if you do reach out to my teacher Tanvir, he has a lot of he would have a lot of similar experience about young dancers as well. Yeah, I think we met at Tanvir's um movement workshop. like a really early autumn year okay 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 the movement workshop all right that was interesting yes like to 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 be to, for me the movement workshop was so interesting very interesting cause like then we portraying kathak to like people who aren't acquainted with it in that language is like fascinating to me like okay and um i remember um looking at a lot of the new stuff because he is a western dancer as well mm-hmm. and me being trained in ballet i was having a lot of issues trying to find that balance between the two okay. and i remember having seen dancers like the new and being like you know it's that you don't have to have like this i'm doing kathak i'm doing ballet you yeah. can do both things still be pretty okay with both of them right i mean it's been a while since i stopped ballet but i remember mm-hmm. when i came to that crossroad where i was just like mm-hmm. oh now it's like, then it's like but i mean i i don't think i'd be half of where i am without my ballet training oh so then and that that brings me to my next question i've had a few ballet dancers in the sense people who had a ballet background i think uh, anjali di comes to mind and then uh, Alina Roy, another girl who like comes to mind. She she had some ballet experience. Uh, Nega Chi had some ballet experience as well. So yeah, um, coming to you, uh, where, how do you feel? The, how does ballet add to your Kathak and vice versa? Like, or does it? Yeah. So I started ballet when I was four. So I had practically been doing ballet my whole life up until I was around thirteen, and. Um, In terms of how it's helped me with Kathak, uh, so I had a phase in Kathak where I hated coming to lessons. Like the language barrier was so bad, I wasn't enjoying myself in class. So I think when Kathak wasn't there for me, it was ballet, and ballet really taught me. It ignited my passion for yeah. dance. It taught me how beautiful like it is to be able to tell a story with your body. Um. So, and in terms of specifics, like I think. the most evident way that ballet has helped me in kathak is flexibility i'm not too flexible to be honest in comparison to a lot of ballet dancers but um in terms of range of movement because i was a very stiff dancer um when i was young so in terms of range of movement and being comfortable using the space around me i think that's okay. something that ballet really helped me with mm-hmm. and um i think more than anything it's the discipline and control that ballet has like You know, if you look at dances from like Kathak from different gharanas, like the angles are a little different, um, the way we do the same steps are different, and every gharana has its own little characteristic. Right. 
but if you look at ballet anywhere okay. around mm-hmm. the world it's more or less the same mm-hmm. so um the the structure and the discipline that you need for ballet was very useful in kathak because it it helped me pay a lot of attention to detail and how i can use my frame and my body to maximize the steps that i was showing so um like we had a component in our ballet exam called transfer of weight which wasn't taught to us in uh, kathak but i think was extremely useful cuz in kathak there were a lot of especially when i started advancing in grades there was a lot of sitting down and getting up rapidly without looking like you're struggling there was a lot of bending so again that flexibility in my bends and you know the shifting of when i have to sit down and what i have to do to get back up smoothly was something that was taught in transfer of weight which i mm. used in kathak like okay now i use my dummy point to go to my flat so that it doesn't look like i you know i'm in pain right. um so yeah i think ballet gave me a lot of good qualities but i think that goes for any art form like mm-hmm. a lot of times when you do two things like even like looking outside of two dance forms even music and dance or drama right. and dance go mm-hmm. hand in hand um like i i play the piano as well and i used to use kathak techniques in my piano exams we used to use piano skills in my kathak exams like um in vocational we have an element where we need to play the lehra on the harmonium and you know the notes are basically the same as a piano so it was like second nature like i didn't have to think too hard about it and mm. um in in um piano we used to have an uh, oral section where we had to um pick up on beats and pulses and things like that which you know in kathak we do all the time so i think art is like a food web art is a food web yeah sorry <laughs> no i'm think i am just thinking about it i'm not saying i'm just trying to i'm putting my head around it i yeah, wouldn't yeah, like it's all intertwined i would say i mean i'm sure swar must have spoken about how singing has helped her she did she did not tell me how art is a food web i'm, I'm kind of <laughs> mad at her now <laughs> but yeah she yeah, i yeah there was some yeah we touched upon carnatic music and yeah. like how it influences her dance practices and i think one thing i do want because we kind of touched upon a little bit but i do want to understand how you think about it and one that is choreographies so when you do like a say a choreographic and investigation which is a term i learned from tanveer um what is the process from you deciding like i'm going to do this song or this performance to like the final piece that comes on stage yeah sure so i'd like to begin by thinking about what exactly i'm choreographing for so is it a social media post then i'm not really limited but if it's for an event the theme of the event might limit me um and then i like to think about purpose so um is there a message that i'm trying to spread am i doing a technique piece or uh am i reenacting a scenario or a mythological story then it's about audience so if i'm in a competition are my judges and my competitors bollywood based so then do i want to pick a bollywood track to fit in with that atmosphere or is my audience western so do i want to choose more uh instrumental or technique pieces in that case and then i'm a person who uh really feels the music while like when i dance so if i'm not feeling the music the audience isn't going to enjoy watching me either and also music structure itself like the melody the rhythm and the tempo can really tell you details about your choreography even before you start dancing so i like to choose my track first 
and um, depending on the track so if it's based on lyrics I find the translations and then I think about uh, the Sanchari Bhav so the transition of emotions throughout the piece what do I want to show what do I not want to show um, then if it's uh, a technique piece I sit down and I'm like okay from here to here is this tukra this is the bowls of the tukra and these are the typical movements that you would do do I want to stick with them do I not want to stick with them uh, if it's instrumental, um, from this bar to this bar, I have eight beats. Uh, what do I want to do in those eight beats? What do I want to show? Um, and then it's about the little details. So the qualities of those beats. Are they soft beats? Do I want to then have smaller movements? Are they loud, heavy beats? Do I want to you know, use my space, maximize my space with jumps and things like that? Uh, maybe even quality of your movements. So if they're soft, maybe more lossy and more circular. Or if it's a sitar, more lossy, circular. Uh, but if it's more bakavaj, loud, heavy, um, maybe more thandav and stronger movements. So little, little nuances here and there, which obviously you eventually end up editing anyway when you start getting the choreography together. And then after that, I think it's just a matter of showing a third person, be it guru bahen, family, teacher, um, just to get a third person opinion, because sometimes, you know, we think something makes sense in our head, as I mentioned, sometimes, you know, it, it makes sense in our head, but it isn't exactly how it's interpreted or delivered. So just making sure that whatever you're trying to, the purpose that you're trying to achieve is being delivered the right way. So, um, yeah, I think that's my general approach for how I do my choreography. Okay. That yeah that uh okay that helps me understand your process and i had kind of a question that's a bit yeah that's a bit novice but i because there's something i kind of like i don't know much about choreography so it might help because you you seem to be really thinking about the stuff you do so like on a very basic perspective so say when you're doing a dance form uh choreography how do you know the when to like put in a chakra in or how do you know instead of like doing like uh, a hastak you know or the hasta chakra or instead of madhya hasta chakra how do you know that where you're going to place it how do you make those decisions i'm very curious because i'm just practicing hastas i wouldn't i wouldn't even know where to place which one in a choreography yeah so i think it depends on the motive of the hastak they're using like uh do you want it to be right. part of technique and you know um fill up time mm -hmm. or lead yourself into another movement or do you want to mm -hmm. use it in abhinay and signify something mm. so for example the ardhalingan so in an abhinay piece it can be used as a hug but in a technique piece you know variations of an ardhalingan are very slow and quick so that can go well with a lot of beats um even music is a really good indicator of what movements to use when um and i mean even talking about variations so aditi mangaldasri's workshop she had taken the Urdhvahasta chakra and she had split it into three levels. Okay. Each with, um, like, as we progress through the variations, you bend a bit more and you use your body a bit more. So if it was a mm -hmm. faster music, you would use the first variation yeah. where it was just a simple lifting of the hand and a little elongation of the spine. Um, whereas if it was a bit slower, you might use a third variation where we did a twist at the back with the bending of the knees in the Urdhvahasta chakra. Um, so yeah, even music is a really good indicator. So, yeah. um, having said that, even if it's a sharp, if it's very, um, loud and very sharp, uh, sounds, we could do more angular and more linear movements like, uh, the Kon or if it's very, um, 
lyrical sounds you could probably do more hastachakras or jalbhramris and things like that so you know sound quality can also help you decide movement quality um some hastaks even have like a dedicated role like um you know if we're performing a gadbhav or gatnikas typically we take a madhya hastachakra to go into the first palta um talking about gatnika sometimes even in terms of nritta the piece that you're doing dictates the hastak that you need to be using like an alingan ki gat this might just seem obvious but an alingan ki gat or an alingan ki amad you know yeah you 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 should probably be using an alingan for that one or you know even a gatnikas you you know use a nikas movement um and in terms of chakras as much as i hate to say it you know sometimes when your audience is very familiar with kathak you kind of add a bunch of chakras at the end to get the audience hyped and to keep them engaged but because of the amount of variations and the amount of chakra types that you have there you know you can talk about so many things like if you want to use vertical space you might want to use a bhavan fair you which you know you have your arm up while you're taking the chakra um if you want to use horizontal space you might do a mukt fairy um you know if it's if it's if the music is slower you might want to do a three step chakra or a five step chakra but if the music is faster you might want to do a double chakra where you you know you take two chakras on one heel so um yeah i think there are a lot of factors but you also have to be very logical like you aren't going to add a bunch of uh chakras in the middle of your piece you know and lose your energy or it might even break the flow of the movement. So I think it's a lot of like logical critical thinking and also just being very thoughtful about like what's the science behind the movement. I mean, now I'm just picking random analogies but No, that's wonderfully done. Um cuz I I'm sure like cuz I've had a lot of guests and 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 they're great dancers but I know a lot of them would just do it by feel or something but you breaking it down is like really useful for me because i don't understand feel a whole lot and these things i really i mean get. i think when it comes to feel yeah. i got that a lot when i just started choreographing yeah. and then people oh yeah just like go with the flow and i was like exactly oh, <laughs> it was very confusing and i think that comes with experience because even um even now if i go on stage and i like blank out i that's when i go with the flow yeah. and i just if i'm going like this okay let me just take a jump and let me do this and then do like some sort of vyapti and yeah definitely in the initial part of when i used to choreograph it was more about like okay in this segment of music um what am i trying to show so i recently did a choreography on to a kadri so kadri is a celebration of the monsoon season right so like, okay in this segment i'm going to show thunder but what helps me is to segment the music like okay this is going to be where my rain is this is going to be where my thunder is this is when i'm going to be like when the rainbow appears and i'm going to be happy and it's it's really just a lot of breaking up and analyzing what you're trying to show and what the purpose behind your movement is nice i like that um yeah i really like i i really like when things are broken down into simple things that i can understand the feeling of like you learn something is always great uh uh and then uh, i guess yeah we're coming up to time so just to end on this note what are your future projects and what would you want your legacy to be in kata so in terms of future projects i think definitely the big one is trying to find my own identity through my dance by merging my cultural heritage with the influence of the indian culture has had on me mm-hmm. um you know like we talked about you know mythological stories right. and 
you know, literature. So there are a lot of avenues that I haven't explored, which I would definitely love to explore in the future. Mm-hmm. And in terms of legacy, I mean, I've always been a very practical and logical person. So I know I'm not going to be some sort of famous Kathak dancer. But um, I mean, my goal is to make at least one person happy through my dance. Like, it doesn't matter to me if it's a hundred or a thousand. But for someone to truly transcend into a place of joy and into another world is what I aim to do with my dance. Awesome. Okay, I really like what you said about making people happy and, you know, you have some plans for the future. And in case you're wondering what would make me really happy is if you just open a school, like your dance company tomorrow. (laughs) So, yeah, if you're just looking for one person to make happy, so there's one way of doing it. But yes, Anya, I really enjoyed this conversation. I learned a lot as always. And yeah, I think my, one of my favorite parts was like when you broke down choreography because that's never, that's something that, that no one has done in that way before. So thank you. Oh, it was lovely talking to you. Thank you so much for today.